gracious Lord, help us to understand how wonderful your church is. Let us see something of the glory of this body which has survived through 2,000 years to this point and has eternity ahead of it, all demonstrating your love for this world, all demonstrating your capacity to overcome the evil within us. At great cost to you to demonstrate your great love. So open our eyes to see, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're getting towards the end of a series of looking at what our statement of faith is in this place and today we look at what our statement of faith says about the church. So it says this. It says, We believe that the church is the body and the bride of Christ, which is instituted by God, to operate with order and structure and in alignment with his will for the glory of God. We believe Jesus Christ calls his church to go into all the world and declare his gospel to all and that everyone who believes is to be baptised by immersion in his name. Baptised by immersion in his name. The church is composed of all those who place their faith in the Jesus, the Christ, and his finished work on the cross for their salvation. We believe that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, both globally and locally here. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the local and the global church is able to conduct its life and fulfil its ministry. He instituted the Lord's Supper or Communion to remind the church of his sacrificial death and of the resurrection of Jesus as a complete payment for all sin, resulting in eternal life that's available to all who believe. God calls each local group of believers as often as they meet to partake in the Lord's Supper or Communion. And God equips each and every believer in his church, and that includes everyone who loves the Lord in this room right now. He equips each and every believer in his church according to his will. God institutes this through the Holy Spirit, and he gives all believers at the point of salvation spiritual gifts to enable them in God's strength and timing and his purpose to be his ambassadors for the glory of God. It is considered a great privilege to serve God and be his ambassador. The church is the wonder of the world. A huge metal structure was built in 1889 for an international exposition. It was larger than anything that had been built before it and was considered by many to be, oh, it's just a monstrosity, too grotesque to see. But the creator, spent over a year building it, knew it was destined for greatness. And his name was Gustave Eiffel. And his creation was the Eiffel Tower in France. And today it stands as one of the architectural wonders of the modern world and it stands as the primary landmark of Paris and France. 
And when it was being built, many people scoffed at Eiffel, particularly when he made the statement that he was going to build a structure that the entire world would love and travel to see. Anyone here been to the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, there's a few people. See, this is true. <laughs> Mr. Eiffel knew that what he was thinking was correct, no matter who might have said he was wrong. And similarly, God knows what he thinks about the church, that's us, is correct, no matter what human-centred people think is wrong about the church. And those who would be their own gods are scheming and planning and executing diabolical schemes against this God's wonderful church. But we're going to affirm today that the church, with all of its problems and faults and imperfections, is truly a divine creation. We would not be here if God had not touched our lives. And whilst it's an annoyance to many and it's inconsequential to others it is important to those God who has to those whom God has called to be in his church and God has an incredible plan for his church he designated the great architect Jesus to be the head over everything for the church to be Jesus body on earth for the church to be filled with the fullness of him who fools everything in every way and whilst Mr. Eiffel knew that his creation was destined to earthly fame, Jesus knew his creation was destined for heavenly fame, for the incandescent glory of God. And we see that in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet, and he appointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's cover a couple of basic points at this start here. And firstly is that question of being a member, membership of the church. What is the foundational understanding that someone who is a member of the church has? What's the core understanding? And to get some Clues for that, we'll look what Jesus himself said to his followers in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, he said, Okay, guys, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And still others, well, Jeremiah, or maybe he's one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I'll tell you that you are Peter, and on this, this rock of understanding that, you are, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So the core understanding that a member 
of the church has is that Jesus is who he says he is, basically. He actually is the Christ. He actually is the Son of the living God. And Jesus says that's the understanding that all believers have to have. It's the understanding upon which he builds this church. And it's an understanding that the devil cannot overcome. He can't defeat. He can't do away with it. And then the Apostle Paul elaborates further on this understanding. It's not just to be an idea in your mind. But it has to be something you're willing to publicly declare. It's a belief inextricably linked with an action. And we see that in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Faith and belief and faith and action inextricably linked. And so a personal transaction between you and Jesus where you give up your rebellious way of living just for your own ends, where you confess the futility and the sinfulness and the waywardness of trying to live without Jesus, and you make a U-turn and determine to live according to the way God made you. He made you to be a humble and an obedient member of his family. A personal transaction where you ask Jesus, please forgive my sins, come into my life. That transaction moves you out of being an individual into communality. You become at that point fully integrated into a family now. And you're never, ever alone again. You become joined into a new communal reality, the church. And the Apostle Paul tells us that this new joining into the church family is like a wonderful new unity which occurs, he's looking for similarities here, it's like what happens when you get married. There's a parallel in that communality with marriage, and we see that in Ephesians chapter 5:23, for the husband's head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. You see, you know, when two people become married, there's a new reality created. Before there was you, and there's me, and now you get married. There's you, and me, and us. You and me and us, and that's the case. For everyone who fully takes on that foundational understanding that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Son of the living God, there's you and me and there's us as, a, as the church, the body of Christ. So let's go back to the first statement of, first part of our statement of faith. We believe that the church is the body and bride of Christ which is instituted by God to operate with order and structure and in alignment with his will for the glory of God. And we see in that statement that wonderful marriage image, the idea of the church as the bride of Christ. There's meant to be the closeness between believers and Jesus. The same sort of closeness, as the closeness as similar as between a husband and wife. Gives us an idea of how close he wants to be with us in our hearts. And all four 
the glory of God. Jesus said in John 17, shortly before he was to die for the sins of the world, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. That your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. See, there's the church, all eternal life. That's the, that's the church, all those who are given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And that scripture shows that the act of people gathering, sorry, the act of Jesus gathering people into his church, giving eternal life, to all those who the Father gave him is glorious. It's a glorious enterprise and it shows how glorious both Jesus and the Father are. And also that section of the statement of faith indicates that God's family is not a family who love freely without boundaries. Anything goes, not the case. We see in a 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, whilst the Bible doesn't specify any way that we should do church in a Catholic way or a Presbyterian way or a Calathumpian way or a shaken bacon way, it doesn't say how long a church service should be in the Bible, it doesn't say how loud it should be, it doesn't say how quiet, it doesn't say energetic or pensive, but it does say it should be done with reverence, fittingly, and in order. Our statement of faith goes on to say, we believe Jesus Christ calls his church to go into all the world and declare his gospel to all, and that everyone who believes is to be baptised by immersion in his name. And that's amongst many things it tells us is the church is not a club which exists just for members of the club for the benefit of club members we've got a mission and we take on when the team's vision we take on the team's mission when we're joined into our new family when we become blood-bought children of God we see that mission laid out in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, so on the basis of my authority, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do what? To obey everything I've commanded you. And wonderful promise. Not, do it, not getting you to do it on your own. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I don't know how many people have come and I've spoken with over the years, things are falling apart and I've got to remind them, I am with you always is truth. Not on your own anymore. Statement of faith carries on. Church is composed of all those who have placed their faith in the Jesus the Christ and his finished work on the cross for their salvation. We believe that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, both globally and locally. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, 
the local and the global church is able to conduct its life and fulfill its ministry. And so the new idea in this section is the empowering of believers to get the job done. To get that amazing mission given in Matthew 28, to get that achieved. And whilst we tend to think we're not doing very much about that, and the church has survived 2,000 years. We are part of an organisation that's like none other. It goes over the whole world. It goes to every, just about every tongue. It goes into every nation. It goes into every political system. The church has been growing and will continue to grow. And how is that possible? The Holy Spirit empowered ordinary people like us. And so what God does through that Holy Spirit is he gives spiritual gifts to every believer. It's not a haphazard thing. It's not a, oh, let's go down the spiritual gift shop and pick something out that we look. No. It's definitely something which the Holy Spirit does intentionally and according to his divine choice. Our job is to discover and explore and fully use what that divine choice gave us. To discover what we've received and to follow the godly inspiration we receive and carry out the mission that we receive in the way that God shows us. So let's just remind ourselves from scripture of that empowering and that equipping it's very clearly laid out in a few places. We look at it in 1 Corinthians 12 first. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Different kinds of service, but it's the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them, and in every one, it's the same God at work in each of us. And now to each one of us, the manifestation of Spirit's given for our own enjoyment, no, for the common good. To one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another there's miraculous powers, another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, to still another the interpretation of tongues, and all of these are the works of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And we go down to verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body and every one of them just as he wanted them to be. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together. He's put us together in this place, giving greater honour to the parts selected. And uh, we'll just take a little bit out of Romans chapter 12 as well. Verse 4, therefore, just as each of us has one body with many members and those members do not all have the same function. If you ever tried writing left-handed when you're right-handed or right-handed when you're left-handed, you see they don't have the same function, do they? So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to the others and we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according with your gift so mission given Holy Spirit given church still here 2000 years later a wonder of the world the wonder of the world let's continue with uh, 
the last bits of our statement of faith here. He instituted the Lord's Supper or communion to remind the church. Remind. Remind. They have a saying in church circle, leadership circles, vision leaks. People need reminding of the same things. We need it every week, don't we? To remind of his sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus as the complete payment for all sin, resulting in eternal life that's available to all who believe. And God calls each local group of believers, as often as they meet, to partake in the Lord's Supper or Communion. See, in the Bible there's only one special church thing to do. One ritual, you know, like church service thing. And should be regularly engaged in. And uh, we see that. Let's remind ourselves, 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, Lord Jesus, on the night he betrayed, he took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's a new agreement between man and God. It's the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you see in Luke 12, the actual first time, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at a table. It's not because they couldn't afford chairs, but uh, in those days you did uh, tend to, to just lie on couches and pillows. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it finds its fulfilment in the kingdom of God. And taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he says, Take this divided among you, for I tell you, I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and he gave breaks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, It's my body, given for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And the same way after the supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So the final bit of our statement of the statement of faith about the church, God equips each and every believer in his church according to his will. God institutes this through the Holy Spirit. And he gives all believers at the point of salvation spiritual gifts to enable them uh, to be uh, sorry, to enable them in God's strength, timing and purpose, to be his ambassadors for the glory of God. It's considered a great privilege serve God and be his ambassador and, and that last section just reminds us of the incredible mission telling others we've got resources for it God equips us with spiritual gifts he equips us with strength he equips us with timing he equips us with purpose so that we can fulfill the mission and making and fulfilling that mission makes us his ambassadors 2 Corinthians 5:20. we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. We implore you what? Be reconciled with God. Don't let it go. Be reconciled if you're not walking with the Lord. Come back to the Lord. And as ambassadors, we don't go with our message. We don't go so that people will think we're cool dudes. 
we go with the team jersey on, which is the robes of Christ's righteousness. We go with the gospel of his salvation. We go as ambassadors for the God who created the heavens and the earth. And although our reception and the reception of the message we bring will be patchy, let us never forget the awesome privilege of being an ambassador of Jesus. Let us never forget the privilege of having a message as valuable as what we have, a message of eternal life. For when we operate healthily and wonderfully and fulfill our God-given mission with the equipment provided by the Holy Spirit, the church is seen to be the wonder of the world. Let's pray. There's a lot of content in there, Lord. It does amount to the fact that you have created the most wonderful organisation in the history of mankind. And you've made it possible for us to be part of that. And your great love is calling us to be part of that. So we pause before you and we just examine for ourselves. Are we taking up our ambassadorial duties? Lord, we rely upon you to enable us to be good ambassadors. And I pray that you would release us, that you would fill us, that you would enable us, and that you would create within us the desire and the yearning to be in the power of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the best possible ambassadors we can be for Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because on that rock of understanding of who you really are, you have built an amazing church and it will not be conquered by the gates of hell. Amen.